Welcome to class 50. Two more classes to go. That is it. Two more classes to go. We're going to review question 49. We'll see who memorized that. And then we will learn question 50 together. So let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this class. Thank you for this catechism that has been written for us. More importantly, thank you for the word from which these questions and answers are derived, your holy word. Thank you for speaking to us, God, for giving us the words, the truth that we need in order to be saved. We pray that you would take this that we're studying today and plant it deep in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question 49 is, where is Christ now? And the answer, read it with me. Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. Question 49, where is Christ now? Okay, anybody want to give this a shot? Let's start here with you, Alexander. Question 49, where is Christ now? Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. So that brings us to question 50. What does Christ's resurrection mean for us? So let's read and say this together now. Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in Him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. That last sentence, it is not only Christians who will be raised. It is unbelievers who also will be raised. But they will not be raised to eternal everlasting life. They will be raised to everlasting death. Man, those last two words, those are frightening words. You see those last two words at the bottom? Everlasting death. Everlasting suffering. Everlasting punishment. A death that never ends. That is the just punishment for sin. That tells you how bad sin is. Sin is that bad. 
that it deserves everlasting torment, that it deserves everlasting death. So what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? Let me read you a scripture. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now remember, he is not giving a theological position on those who are snuggled up in their beds with their blankets over their heads asleep. The word asleep here is referring to those who have physically died. Specifically, and often it is referring to Christians who have physically died. And so merely their bodies have been laid to rest. Their souls have gone to be with Jesus. And those bodies will be resurrected. So they're not permanently in that grave, which is why he uses this term asleep. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when those who are saved die... Well, we don't grieve the same way over them that we do over those who are not saved and die. I just did a memorial this last week, and it was, of course, really sad. And we were grieving, and we were mourning because someone was lost. But it wasn't a grief without hope. It was a grief and a sorrow that was alongside rejoicing because we knew that there would one day be a reunion between those who loved this one lost and the one lost. They're merely asleep. Their soul is now with Jesus and their body will be resurrected one day, reunited in this case with mom and dad to live forever. So we don't grieve 1 Thessalonians 4 says we don't grieve in the same way that we grieve over those who have died and were not saved. That's a different kind of grief because they're truly lost and there will be no everlasting reunion in everlasting life. They would be and will be raised to everlasting death. And so Paul writes that text in 1 Thessalonians to say, hey, we, we have this hope for those who have died. And the reason we have this hope that those we love who are saved will be resurrected is because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's one of the things this means for us. So let me read the answer again. Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected. So the resurrection was a victory, right? It was game over. Death took its best shot, but death died. Think about that. Death died through the death of Christ. He killed death. He conquered death. It could not, we would say, hold him in the grave. So sin lost to Jesus. Death 
lost to Jesus. Satan lost to Jesus. Could not hold him. And resurrection was that victory. He triumphed. Why? So that. So that all who trust in him. And that's many of you. Some of you it's not you. Some of you it's not you yet. Some of you, especially you kiddos, maybe you believe the things that you've heard and you believe things mom and dad tell you. But you need to know it's something else to not just hear and believe what you're hearing, but to trust Jesus, to trust him, to rely on him, to depend on him, to hope on him, to know that you are a sinner deserving everlasting death. And Jesus came to die in your place so that you may be saved. And so you need to trust Him. To place all your trust and faith in Him. So that all who trust in Him, if that's you today, are raised to new life in this world. So we're raised to new life right now. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17 um, Therefore, He was in Christ as a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We're changed. We're totally changed. We are a new creation. So we're raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. Romans 8.21, for the creation, this is after sin, after the garden. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So even, not just, not just Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, including you and me, we've all been affected by sin. But that's not it. The entire universe was affected by sin. All of God's creation. You see that in creation. You see that in nature. You see that things are not right. That things are not as they should be. That even nature is at war. You think of things like tornadoes and lightning bolts and tsunamis and earthquakes. We see even God's creation groaning. That the creation itself, though, this is one day, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So no tornadoes, maybe, that means, in heaven. Or if there are, they're not threatening. Like you can, you can ride them. You get like Dorothy and Wizard of Oz, you can get sucked up and just peacefully drop down. Here's what D.A. Carson, I'm going to read to you from what he says regarding this question. The resurrection of Jesus Christ carries with it many, many wonderful implications. And he gives three that are talked about in this question. So first, it vindicates Jesus it turns out that Jesus did not die as a damned man because of his own sin. 
Rather, he was bearing the sin of others. And that sacrifice so pleased God that God raised him from the dead. So his resurrection, he says, is proof positive that when Jesus said with his dying words, it is finished, God agreed. So it vindicated Jesus. It proved him right. It means everything he said was true. It was not a lie. It was not exaggerated. It was not made up. It was not false. And that was proven because he was raised from the dead. God the Father raised him from the dead, saying, He is true. All he said is true and right. Also, this would be second. The resurrection demonstrates the gospel's concern for human beings embodied. In the new heaven and the new earth, the ultimate goal, the home of righteousness, there will not just be heavenly existence, it's earthly existence. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And we will have resurrection bodies like Christ's. All human beings will be resurrected, whether to life, this is that last part, or to condemnation, because we are essentially embodied people. So the resurrection, it reminds us and teaches us that the gospel is concerned for the body and the soul. And then he gives a third thing. We should not think that Christianity merely sorts out some problems in our lives here. Rather, the ultimate goal is beyond this life. When we get older and more hairs fall out and arthritis kicks in or we sink away into dementia, suddenly resurrection existence begins to look very good indeed because our hope is not to survive to 70 or 80 or even 90. Our hope is a body like Christ's resurrection body. And His is the first fruit. Ours have been secured by Him. And we are coming along behind Him to join in resurrection existence. Full bodied resurrection existence in the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness. So think about that. The kind of body that we will all ultimately have is like the body of Christ. Undefeatable in that way. Imperishable in that way. Like His resurrected body that will live and last forever. Many of us see bodies in this lifetime that we wish we had. I wish my body was more like that body. Or we might look at pictures and say, I wish my body looked like my body looked at that point in time. <laughs> and so we might even have these goals. And we might even, and there's nothing wrong with this necessarily, to eat right and to exercise because you want to, this is how I would put it, get the, the most out of this body that I possibly can. I'd like this body, as far as I'm concerned, to last as long as it could possibly last so that I can do the things that I'd like to do and, and play with my grandchildren someday and, and God willing, my great-grandchildren someday. I mean, who knows? So that's the goal. But the ultimate goal is that I would have a body like the resurrected body of Jesus. That's where my hope is set. 
So I shouldn't be overly concerned with those other things. And the reality is, eat as healthy as I try and exercise as much as I do. I mean, I know that tomorrow I could be diagnosed with some disease. And it could rob my body of vitality. I wouldn't be able to eat right enough. I wouldn't be able to exercise enough. God in His providence could determine that all of that would change in a moment. What would that devastate me? I really hope it wouldn't. I'm sure it would be difficult. And I'm sure I'd be discouraged. But I hope I wouldn't despair. Because my ultimate goal is to have the body of Jesus. A resurrected body. That that will not have tear ducts, at least not for sorrow. That will not feel pain. That will not experience suffering that will be imperishable, that will last forever, that will never fade away. That's the ultimate goal. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus means for us. His resurrection, we've learned this in 1 Corinthians, was a first fruits. It was an indicator of fruit that was still to come. And that fruit is our resurrected bodies one day in a resurrected earth. A new heavens and a new earth. So question 50. What does Christ's resurrection mean for us? And let's say the answer one more time together. Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in Him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the resurrection. And thank you for all that it means for us and the hope that we have. God, we become easily distracted and detached from these truths, even in a single day. And God, we ask that you would help us to live in a way that even if we're not 24-7 conscious of these truths that we're learning, that these truths are beneath and informing everything that we say and do. God, that we would live like those who have great hope that our bodies will one day be resurrected because of the resurrection of Jesus. We pray for those who, as it stands at this point in time, to us are facing everlasting death. God, we pray that you'd quicken their spirits, that you would snap them out of their stupor. That you would awaken them. That their eyes would open, their ears would hear, their minds would know, their hearts would feel how great is the love the Father in heaven has for them. 
that he would send his son Jesus to die in their place as a propitiation for sin that they could be forgiven and live no longer for themselves but live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.